Tungle by Loa. Blocked by Armstead. Two into the end zone. Caught for the touchdown! Caught for the touchdown! Waddle! Miami has taken the lead! Hey now, hey now, welcome to the Sportscaster Season 12, Episode 6. My name is Steve Bennett, the beautiful Paula Bennett. Not with me today because it is late. Uh, The early minutes of September 20th, 2022. Uh, Late Monday into Tuesday, uh, the Bills and Eagles just got the last two wins of Week 2 of the NFL season. And I come to you behind. Uh, I am behind. I have interviews stacking up, and I haven't been able to get in here. I've been having a few problems. One, my MacBook Pro won't click. Uh, The trackpad is broken. It doesn't click. So I have to use my external trackpad, which is a big pain in the ass. I have an appointment tomorrow. The Apple Store, hopefully get that fixed. Also, had a little bit of trouble with the last episode and getting it to post on Apple. It was posting everywhere else just fine. Um, but wouldn't post on Apple, and I was kind of waiting for that to happen, and it took days and days and days, and I couldn't believe it. And now here we are with four interviews backed up, and some of the people who are on those interviews wondering why they haven't been posted. So here's what we're going to do today. It's Tuesday morning, probably by the time you're listening to this, and what we're going to do is we're going to post an episode with Richard Deitch and Kenny Albert. Uh, The Richard Deitch interview is the oldest of the two. Uh, Kenny Albert I just did a few days ago. Uh, in between week one and two of the NFL season. uh, And the Richard Deitch interview was the Friday before week one. So what we'll do is we'll take a break. We'll come back with Richard Deitch from The Athletic. Again, that interview was recorded the Friday before week one of the NFL season. So the day after the Bills and Rams game. And then we'll do the book club. Quick update there. Um, Still kind of rebuilding... uh, the book club as we head into the fall. We do have a new book uh, book to add, actually, so I'll mention that. And then we'll do an interview with Kenny Albert that I recorded in between weeks one and two of the NFL season. Uh, he started his however many years on Fox. He mentions it in the interview, and we talk about him calling football. We talk about how his father is doing at retirement. We talk about his first season of hockey. We cover a lot of ground with Kenny. And I think you'll really enjoy that. He's always great here. And then we'll do one last thing, which I'm not sure yet. I'll talk about Pearl Jam or the Saints or Italy soccer play this week. I'll find something. But here's the thing. It's the second, first of two episodes this week. So the next episode will go up probably Thursday going into Friday. Um, So then by this weekend, you'll have two shows to listen to. And that one, I'm going to finally upload the SL Price interview. Uh, that I've had for a few weeks now. He actually emailed me wondering if it's gone up yet, and I told him it would this week. And then the other interview is the return of Jay Mariotti. Uh, and Jay has not is making his second appearance on the show. His first was a legendary one. And I tell you right now, as we recorded this interview the other day, he brings it again. He is great. We recorded that on Friday, uh, so that'll go up this week. So two episodes this week, Richard Deitch and Kenny Albert today, Jay Mariotti, and... SL Price next, uh, and then we'll go from there the week after that. 
Uh, New Orleans football, New Orleans.football, which is a website by Nick Underhill, who's been on this show last year, uh, added a Saints beat reporter named Mike Triplett, who was at ESPN. So I kind of want to get those two guys in together to find out how an independent site like New Orleans.football poached a guy from ESPN. Could be interesting. Plus, of course, we'll talk a little bit of Saints football with him as well. Uh, but I got to book that. Uh, but plenty to do right now, plenty to listen to, plenty of interviews have already recorded. I'm behind. Let's get caught up. And the best way to do that is take a break, and we'll be right back with Richard Deitch from The Athletic. All right, our first guest today uh, lives in Toronto, Canada. He's a graduate of the University of Buffalo, and he covers sports media for The Athletic. He was on episode number three of this podcast and doesn't like long introductions, so we'll cut it there. A warm sportscaster's welcome to our friend Richard Deitch. Hello, Richard. How are you doing today? Steve, where's my, like, where's my glorious intro? My, well, it's my, been pre-recorded. Know. It's been pre-recorded. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Nice. Uh, good to be with you. Yeah. Uh, it's been a little bit. I'm g- very glad to see that... Uh, you're back uh, yes, on the mend and healthy. Yeah. That's uh, it's great news and great to see the uh, the podcast is uh, is continuing on. Yeah, it was a little bit of a battle, but nothing I couldn't handle, and you know, win for the good guys. So thank you, I appreciate that. I'm feeling very well. I was in the land of Deitch yesterday. I was in Toronto. Uh, I tried to hook up with you, but you blew me off. Some some nonsense about kids or something like come on you know, yeah, you know. it's a busy yeah, life yeah. but uh, you were but uh <laughs> you know what's you know what's actually interesting i don't know how many people on your podcast will even care about this but i'll sort of mention it anyway sure so you were in town to watch pearl jam yes. did you know that elton was yes. playing at the same time yeah that's a, that's kind of incredible two major yeah. massive legacy acts playing in the same city different stadiums and arenas at the same time and like kind of right down the road and it yeah i'll tell you this you could tell who was going to Elton? Who was going to Pearl Jam? <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't there wasn't much of a discrepancy. The the, the Elton John, I'll say this, was dressed much more uh, exquisitely. You know what I mean? Like everyone going to Pearl Jam was in jeans and a t shirt. Everyone going to Elton was like in suit coats and boas and you know, like it was yeah. it, it was it was well, interesting. By, by the way, what's interesting about those two bands, by the way, uh, Elton, well, Elton plays Roger Center, which is the stadium and sure. digger. Pearl Jam play Scotiabank Arena. You could have flipped it. Yeah, oh both, yeah. Both, both would have sold out each place respectively very easily. Yeah, Pearl Jam did um, in 2018. They did a whole tour of stadiums. I think it was nine or ten shows all in stadiums. So yeah, they're they're an interesting band. And in the... how's Vetter's voice these days? Well, he had some issues over the summer, which he tried to blame on climate change, which I thought was funny. Um, <laughs> there was a there was a show, a Lollapalooza show in France. They did. And apparently there was some fires there and the air quality wasn't great or something. And his voice kind of let out on him and they canceled two, maybe three shows for him to get better. And they put out a press release and they were like, uh, they mentioned everything except for like his smoking for 40 years, having an impact and um, tried to kind of blame it on the climate change causing the fires in Paris and that. Is what did it, which I, you know, was kind of, I thought, funny. And it was also funny, too. Another funny thing, they, they, because God bless them, they're very passionate about their causes and stuff like that. But the, the first leg of the US tour, uh, first Matt Cameron got COVID and they kind of got through a few shows without him. But then Jeff Amon, who's the bass player, got it. And they're like, we're not doing Pearl Jam shows without him. And they put out this press release about how 
they had been just in this super strict bubble and they just can't understand how anyone got COVID. And it's like, guys, the day before, Mike McCready was live streaming from a women's rights march in San Francisco. Like the, the the bubble is not that stringent. Like, come on, guys. You know what I mean. Like, I will say they God bless uh, their hearts, but you know, it's an ama- They're they're. Yeah. I mean, they've been an amazing sort of band for a long time, and uh, those like who are like twenty or fifteen or something. They you can't even explain just how big they were in the nineties yeah. when like the Seattle sound was like blowing up and just they were like revolutionarily sounding different and. uh um, it's cool. It's cool to see that that era of band is still playing. And actually, you know, getting back to Elton John, like whether you like Elton John or not, like his catalog is just so absurd. Oh, absolutely. That it probably it'd be worth going just because, like, you 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 probably don't even realize just how many hit songs the dudes had. Yeah, you know, I've seen him with, like, I seen it's him like with Billy Joel. Yeah, I've seen yeah, him with it's, Billy it's Joel. Once. Yeah, and he, he yeah. Was, well, he, that actually would be really interesting. Those two. Yeah, uh, they were both great. Between those two, uh, you know, I'm gonna do a ten hour conf- uh, concert. Yeah. So yeah, I thought uh, um, I did notice that when you were going there. I thought that was just really interesting that yeah. these two legacy legacy apps. Pretty incredible. And like about the Pearl Jam popularity thing, Versus came out on October nineteenth, nineteen ninety three, and it sold nine hundred seventy five thousand wow. copies in the first week, which was a record. And it's gonna be a record forever because what happened? It technically was broken in nineteen ninety eight by Garth Brooks, a live album. But yep. he had seven days. They changed how they – what a first week is. Oh, they measure it. Yeah. It, yeah. So it's kind of an unbreakable record in the sense that they just don't measure them that way anymore. But um, Crazy, man. Wow. The, crazy. So they were uh, – their height was the Bills' first uh, first run. Right. Pearl Jam. Yeah. Exactly. It's amazing. It was my 86th show last night. So 14. Oh, wow. Congratulations. 14 more to uh, get to triple to digits. So here's what I want to know for you, and I was trying to get a sense of this on the streets. Uh, of your city but has toronto become the epicenter of insigne and bernadeschi fever yet like have those dudes just <laughs> taken over the city like austin matthews and mitch marner or what what can you tell me about my <laughs> beloved italian players who have absolutely dominated by the way since they've gotten there so tell me about yeah, this. yeah. <laughs> not, not the first question i expected though i love it um <laughs> So, you know, they've been excellent, obviously. I think the problem for the for TFC is they arrived just a little too late. I don't right. know if they're going to make the playoffs. Yeah, because, they're in 10th, I think, and they need to get to 7th. Yeah, they they they've had two, just too big a hole to climb out of. If they make it, I feel like they're going to make it on a, like the last week of the regular season. Sure. So I think people really, I mean, in terms of the soccer community here, they, they already love those two. I mean, they're far and away the most skilled and talented players on the team they just they play a different level of soccer than the rest of the group they've elevated the rest of the group but you know tfc um i would say is a niche play in toronto like it's it's popular but it 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 doesn't sort of come close to what the leafs are doing when the leafs are good it come close to what the raptors are doing the raptors are good and at the moment i think the jays are probably the focus of the majority of the sports fans in the city because they're in a playoff right hunt mm-hmm. um so yeah i mean i don't i don't want to say i don't want to call it niche because that that sounds a little too pejorative but in terms of like the the sort of power rankings of the city it's probably always going to be leafs one and then raptors two jays three unless the jays get to the playoffs and then tfc 
Sure. After that, Makes but sense. they draw pretty good beautiful for an stadium. MLS team. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful stadium. stadium. Yeah. And those two have been great. Uh, they lost the other day to Montreal, which is was oh. a game they really needed. It wasn't a tie. One. Oh, it was two two, and then they gave a goal late. Yes, right? yeah, two. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, but those guys have been excellent. I mean, like it's very clear that if you get a whole season out of them next year, they're a playoff team. They may even win it um, because you're you've gotten, you know, you you you. I I, I mean, should make sure I'm not sort of don't, don't go over the top and call. It's like having at least one, let's say, top 200 in the world in MLS. Right. Yep. You know? So that's where, like, they're just – they have a difference maker, and as long as he stays healthy and is back for the whole season, I, I would expect them to be really good next year. It was a really smart decision by both of them, too. I think there's a huge Italian-Canadian – I almost said Italian-American. Yes. But it's a huge Italian-Canadian community there, you know, the North York area. I remember as Very a, much. I remember yep. as a kid, my grandmother – and my great grandmother and I, they would take me to like a street festival there every once in a while. And probably if it wasn't for COVID, I probably would have went there to watch the final of the Euros because, like that, the day before I was thinking like, where could I go to watch us somewhere really cool? And that was the first thing that came to mind. But I'm like, yeah, I don't want to deal with. I don't even know what the rules are right now or what. You know what I mean? So I just didn't do it. But a really smart business decision by them, and I'm glad that they're having success and. Um, yeah. yeah, and the so. and like the, the the reality is like you have just a lot of different uh, sections of this town with people who are from soccer cultures. So yep. soccer is big here, and this, when the World Cup uh, comes in twenty twenty two, it'll be raucous. But when it really comes to the this actual in twenty twenty six, it's going to be insanity. Um, and the Canadian national team is good; they're in the World Cup. Right? You know, yep. I, I think they have an outside chance of getting to the to the knockout round, but by 2026, they could be really good. Like that program could be humming and they're in, you know, they don't have to qualify sure. for the US or Mexico. So this is, you know, the country sort of making its way into uh, becoming a bit of a, of a larger soccer country. The women have always been good, but now the men are actually pretty good. Well, don't get me started on the world cup and the qualifying. Cause poor Grant, Grant Wall had to hear my scorn and disapproval of it. But by 2026, I don't think despite the history here, there's any chance Italy could not make it, and I pray. no because you know they're, they're yeah they're because of the expansion it, it's, yeah because of the impossible. expansion yeah so I I pray every day that they will play in Canada um in Toronto specifically because I will definitely be there if they if they do my daughter and yeah. I will definitely be there but um, there's too many good, there's too many good European teams that's where a team like Italy can get screwed in that there's only so many spots oh, for get me started. so many great teams oh, right so God. if you right so you you're uh, you know you're allowing like. Uh, teams from Oceania or wherever to make it who are nowhere near the class of the European teams that don't make it. It's not really, it's honestly never the best teams in the world. Right. But it's I understand it is a world cup. I mean, you don't want it just to right. be teams from Europe and South America. Or something. Correct. Correct. I get right. that right. part of it, but it's really, my issue is really the, the, the system of qualifying where you have a team like Germany who basically has no other team that's even close to them in the qualifying. And then you have Italy who has, Admittedly, it's still Italy's fault. You know, it still comes down to the fact that yes, they should have won. That yes, Jorginho, right. who is known for penalties and is, by the way, fifteen for fifteen in his last fifteen attempts in the Premier League, um, if he makes one of two penalties in the two Switzerland games, they're yeah, in the they're, World they're, Cup. They're, so, exactly. I, so, I, right. so I understand where the responsibility has to be on this side of the table, but 
They never trailed for one second in Euro- European qualifying and did not qualify. They played yeah, 10 well, they, games and never... Yeah. They, they had a lot of draws, yeah. though, right? They, they had too that, many that, draws, yeah. And, yeah, and, and, and Switzerland had a really good strategy of... They did. Let's just make sure we tie the Italy games, and then let's just hope that they somehow have one more tie than we do. That was basically yep. the strategy, and it worked because Jorginho missed the penalties. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. if you go back and you yep. watch those Switzerland games, well, I think the soccer term is they parked the bus. They didn't try to score goals. You know what I mean? They they tried to make those games nil nil, and uh, I think one they were both one one. I think ultimately, but um, uh, it was a good strategy by them, and it worked. And of, of course, I have to accept the blame and responsibility. And I can't even begin to tell you the disgust of the Northern Macedonia game, which I saw that coming a mile away. I was in the hospital watching on my iPad, and like for ninety minutes, just us getting chance after chance after chance after chance after chance. And I'm like, they're gonna get one kick, and it's gonna go in. And sure enough, anyway, let's let's move on. Oh, one last thing about Bernadeschi and um, Insigne. The, the, no matter what happens with them long term, they'll always have my heart because Insigne had the amazing goal against Belgium, and uh, Bernadeschi was two for two in penalties in the Spain and the England game. Um, and you've seen how great he is at in uh, Toronto too. Um, I think he's uh, made a few um, since he's been there already. But uh, God bless those guys, and I hope they do really well. So anyway, they will. They will. Yeah. yeah, let's talk. <laughs> let's talk a little bit of um, football, sports media, um, which I we're, this is going to go up Monday. So everyone will have had a chance to see every booth by then, except for Buck and Aikman, which they'll have seen by the night. All right, where do I want to start? You know what? Let's start real quick with Pat McAfee. Let's just do it like two minutes of college real quick. Uh, Pat McAfee, I just read your article about him uh, signing on a game day. My first thought is, man, that guy's got a lot of jobs. Uh, my second thought is he's really funny, but I'm just not into the drug thing. So he kind of loses me like on his show. And um, I, I know, I, I don't know. It's just not my thing, but whatever. He's fine. He's good. Uh, he's got a great personality. He's got a lot of jobs. Uh but is this, do you think, um, a move where ESPN is positioning themselves a little bit for the inevitable turnover, where maybe the star of the show in Corso is not going to be there much longer and they need to start bringing on talent? There's a lot of guys there, like you said in your article, but are they kind of positioning for the transition of the show? Um, and do they view McAfee as maybe the star that can take that spot and be the goofball putting the helmets or the heads on and that kind of thing when Corso's gone? Well, so I think there's a couple things. Um, I think far and away, they they know that they need a little more energy to that. Hold on, hold on. Richard. Go ahead. Uh, your, your connection is killing me. You're dropping you're dropping in now. Are you in a bad spot? Do you have a landline I can Anything? Call? I just moved. Any okay. better? Uh, well, let's see. Hopefully. Um, the Some of it I'll be able to edit around. Not that big of a deal, but... I just didn't want to get too far. Start, start yeah, that yeah, one yeah. over. Yeah, start that one over. Tell me if it sounds better. Five, okay, it four, starts, three, sounds one. better so far, yeah. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, so it's really, I mean, it's twofold. We'll, I'll, we'll sort of do McAfee first because it's a little separate from Corso. I think that show, I think the producers, you know, maybe not on the record, but certainly off the record would admit that the show needs a little bit more energy. And that's just one thing when you have a cast that's been around for sure. a long time. And, a and group he brings that. There. He brings the energy. Right. Yeah, he, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So it's a group that's been there for a long time. They're not necessarily so close to having played, right? Desmond Howard played forever ago. Kirk Herbstreit played forever ago. Even David Pollock now has played, it feels like, forever ago. So bringing energy or bringing a little youth is a good thing for that show. And obviously, McAfee will 
do that. There's no doubt that they're trading on his star with a lot of young people. His YouTube show gets obviously crazy engagement. He's got the WWE job, and obviously a lot of people like him from from SmackDown. So he's got a fan base. That's unquestionable. Huge. And that's obviously, yeah. yeah. And if you're ESPN, you want that. I do think, I don't think he's a replacement for Corso. I think they're bringing him because they like him and want to see if this works. Um, I don't think there is a replacement for Corso. I think when Corso goes, the, the, I mean, maybe they'd still pick that, do the headset stuff and stuff, but it just, it has to be different because you can't replicate Corso. My, My thought would be that they will either cast in the post Corso era, of which McAfee may or may not be part of it. Or they're going to try to get like, I mean, I think their dream would be Nick Saban, okay, yeah, to, to come in and do that. Mm-hmm. So, but I think they would, I think if there is a quote unquote Corso replacement, it would be a coach. It, it's not going to be um, Pat McAfee, but the show will change. Like you, the the reality is like that Corso end of game day segment is sort of so unique to him that I I don't know if you can, like I don't think I would try to find the next league Corso. I think I would just try to find. What would work in 2024, 2025, and like do the best show you can? Um, I think again, I don't, I don't know the contract situations off the top of my head of Desmond Howard and Pollock, but you know, there's always, I think, a chance that they try to get a younger college football person into that mix. You know what I mean? Someone who played, let's say, like seven, eight years ago, as opposed to like twenty. 25 years ago, I would guess, and this is just a pure guess, at a certain point, Herb Street, I think, is not going to do that show anymore. I think he's going to just morph to doing games for, um, for you know, ABC, biggest game of the week, and, you know, try to, probably try to continue to do NFL Amazon as long as possible. So, again, right. I, I'm not reporting this. This is just, like, a thought. In, like, yep. like, a, like, a bit of a thought or analysis on my part is, I, if I had to bet, I would bet Kirk Herb Street is not on game day three, four, five years from now. That was just my would be my guess, and that opens up a very big door for that show, obviously. And then you got to figure out how you can. Yeah. So your thought is like they're looking for like this is just a random name, but like a Sam Bradford, like someone from that era or whatever, as maybe someone who can come in, be a little bit more in touch with the with what has happened on the field recently. Um, and that yeah, makes a I lot think of you, sense I think to me. I think they just want, I think they I think that show has to have energy, right? It's yep. outside. It's college kids. Yeah, the it, It's about yep. the whole idea of the show is to bring you. If you're sitting in your your you know your your uh, living room in Buffalo, New York, or you know Fargo, North Dakota, the idea is to br- is to make you feel at least for a couple hours that you're on campus with these guys, right? And for that, you need energy. You need people who can bring it, who are passionate about. Need people know their shit as well, um, and I think that's where they they get McAfee. I, I will, you know, the one thing about McAfee is um, he he does watch the games. Like he will be ready. In terms of like knowing the stuff, he's not. This is not bringing in like a WWE commentator to come in and sort of do shtick. I'm not saying he's going to be, you know, Kirk Herbstreit or Pete Thamel or something like that. But but he's not going to, you know, he, he it's not going to be shtick with him. Yeah, yeah he loves I think football. He's, I think he's going to be able to talk the talk, and so I I, I think very good, um, a very good addition. And in terms of, I mean, the one thing I sort of agree with you on McAfee is I make sure you don't overexpose him. And sort of much like you don't want to make a McAfee show people on that set. So it's really up to the producers to figure out how do you him work seamlessly with everybody else. And and my guess is they will because game day has a lot of talented people behind the scenes. So the other article you wrote about these sort of college game day shows was the um, 
Urban Meyer, who's maybe the more polarizing of the additions to the shows. And I think the number one way, if you want to disarm people, um, if you're controversial, if you're polarizing, is to show that you can laugh at yourself. And from your ar- and from your article, it seems like th- the word is is that Urban Meyer is not someone capable of that. So that kind of makes me feel like it might not work then. I don't know. I don't know. But maybe the perception of Urban Meyer as a college football fan, especially if, as you wrote in your article, if he focuses on kind of X's and O's and coaching strategies and things like that, maybe the everything that went wrong in Jacksonville and the NFL part of it and all of that kind of doesn't follow him there if – that's kind of the alley he sticks in. I still think it'd be better if he could find a way to laugh at himself. I think that would disarm everyone and, and give him a lot of a lot more rope there. But if he's not capable of that, I think it has to be the other way. Is that kind of your perception? Well, it's good. It's a good question by you. One, I, I, he might be like he may actually do it. My the, the the college football group that I work with tells me that he's just not a capable guy on this. But but I don't know that. Like I think. Right. I think he may be even – you know what? You can be calculated here and just laugh at yourself even if you're lying. You could just do it performance-wise on TV, sure. and I think you would win some people over. So, you know, we'll see. I'm with you 100% of Urban Meyer. I mean, he, there's some things he did in Jacksonville that are not laughable, but if he just mocks the coaching part, like, oh, man, like, you know, my the worst record in the NFL since so you – know, whatever. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I was a regular rich co-tide out there or something. Yeah, you exactly. Know, yeah, it, it, it would I would actually go a long way. Um, I do think it's going to work. Like again, I, I tried to present that article as honest as possible. I think it's an incredibly cynical hire. Um, I think, just me personally as a viewer, there's nothing Urban Meyer can tell me that I'm going to take, um, uh, like honestly or truthfully outside of just X's and O's stuff. Like I just I don't believe the guy on anything except when it comes to analysis of of plays and schemes and stuff. I think the guy will be excellent, and I think Fox will put him in those positions. I think he will. You know, he'll tell you, like, why does the Ohio State offense work? Why is, like, Penn State doing this? How should uh, Michigan attack uh, Wisconsin? Like, that stuff he's going to be really, really good at. I'm sure they're going to put him in excellent positions, and that's going to be good. Secondly, there is value in having controversial, polarizing people on television. Right, yeah. That's just the reality of it. Like, people will tune in. Like, there's a lot of people who dislike Stephen A. Smith and Skip Bayless and probably hate watch, like, more than like watch. And so – there's a reality to that, and I'm sure Fox will get some of that. Where, in terms of the television part of it, and I hopefully I at least like explain this to readers, where the producers and director have real challenges is this: they're going on site this year, right? So and you the gotta, signs and all that, and the yeah, chaos. like you yeah. get that's one thing you got to right. sort of sir, because like the one thing about a polarizing guy, particularly with the the the, the things that are involved in Urban Meyer's past, like signs are going to come, like. He will be obviously treated like a god in Columbus. That's not going to be the case in Iowa City. Right. You know what I mean? Or Ann Arbor. Like yeah. it's it's a different world there. So that that's their challenge. I mean, it could go two ways. One, it could be like a fun thing between the crowd and, and the and the cast, which would be great TV. Right. Yeah. It could also go real bad yeah. where you start hearing like F chants and sure. and, and the signs that get on are like Urban Marsh. you know, I didn't even want to guess what like bad sign would be. You you're you're listening do their own imagination so it'll be interesting to watch it's a real tv sort of a real interesting tv kind of question as to how it plays out but um if you ask me it will work um the ratings will be good on that show and i believe urban Meyer will continue on that show for a while uh the only caveat i have and i just don't know enough about 
like the college football coaching ranks is if like he would consider going back if some I know it's not gonna be Ohio State, some like top twenty program like decided to just pay him oodles of money, like would he want to go back and you know, go back to coaching and try it again? I just I don't know, but it seems like all these guys eventually go back, so I don't think he could rule it out. Yeah, and he's classic for changing his mind like underwear. The the uh the the sign to beat right now that I saw last week was uh for the Florida Utah game. Uh, for the uh, Florida student, or maybe it was a fraternity, had it a real huge sign on the side of their house. It said, "We play F Mary Kill, and you play Mary Mary Mary." And I thought that was hilarious. All right, let's switch to NFL. So the last time, I guess you didn't think it was funny. I did. I thought it was a good sign. I just, I, I, I tried to visualize it in my head. And I, I, I got, I have to Google that one. I have. It, to... it was a huge banner too. Like it took up like the whole side of like a three story house. It's funny. Um, the uh, the NFL. Last time we talked, the great announcer shuffle of 2022 was underway and everyone's settled and uh the booths are going to debut i know michaels and herb street uh already had a preseason game which i thought they were fantastic i thought it was better than i i thought it would be um i liked herb street it, it, it didn't i thought i'd be watching think thinking this is the college guy the whole time but i wasn't and um l michaels is i mean he's the greatest right so i mean of course he's going to be fantastic and he was uh let's kind of go booth by booth and i guess we might as well start with amazon and of course uh, their challenges this year there's a lot of talk about the ratings of the first game but i can't get too into a preseason game that they didn't promote that was up against another preseason game that was easier to watch i mean they're gonna have a their own window every week and we'll see how it goes but what are your thoughts on amazon going in and just that booth in general and how you think it will settle and what your expectations are yeah, I think the booth will be excellent. I thought it was excellent game one. Um, they sounded like they had worked together for years. Seamless. Uh, yeah, I have no doubt. I think they have high-end talent with Michaels and Herb Street and Kaylee Hartong. They have great behind-the-scenes people and Fred Gadelli and Pierre Musa, who's the director. That, that'll be as good a broadcast as any um, that exists in the NFL. So in terms of like your processing it as a viewer it's going to be an a or an a plus no question about that the biggest question for amazon is the viewership question and it's just how many people are ultimately gonna decide to watch amazon prime uh you know at eight o'clock on thursday night and is that number like 10 million and up or is that number like more like seven six million and that's the big question um it will not be anywhere near five and i think amazon certainly knows that i think the nfl knows that what i think they're hoping for their big hope, at least year one, is that it's not crazy low. You know what I mean? It's not something like four million, five million, where it's like, oh my god, we just, you know, we just lost like seventy percent of the audience. Um, but it's going to be a slow grind in terms of building audience and building awareness. But in terms of the production end, they've invested millions and millions of dollars on that, and that's going to be honestly be as good as Sunday Night Football, in my opinion. I have no worries about that. I was hoping that they might lean into the let's use this to sell subscriptions really heavily and maybe like do not a commercial free game but a less commercials kind of a thing like because that's the one drag about nfl is you know you got the whole like um touchdown extra point commercial kickoff commercial like those kind of things that will bog the game down doesn't seem like they're going to go that route but i'm looking forward to to seeing how they do the only thing i hate is that when i sit down to watch an nfl game let's say on nbc during the commercials i just flip around you know yeah, you can't myself. do that. That's you can't do it. You're stuck yeah. on the app, and I mean, you are. You, yeah. you got to go to your sucks. you go to your phone or something like that. Yeah. But I have two TVs. That is, that's yeah. that's a that's a big 
behavioral change for consumers is they cannot, you know, unless you want to get back on your streaming real quick, you're not going to be able to go during commercials elsewhere. All right, let's buzz through these. Let's go to um, ESPN next. Joe Buck, uh, kind of a friend. He's on this show all the time. He's really great to me. Um, and uh, he and Troy will be together. I expect Seamless here, and I, I think this is the one thing for me, and maybe it is for you. Uh, when I was a kid growing up as a Saints fan, they weren't on Monday Night Football very much. But when they were, I would take a nap during the day to earn that time at night so I could watch the first half or whatever my parents would let me do because they'd started at 9 back then even. Um, but when I heard Al and Frank and Deerdorf, I thought, wow, my team's in a big game. And nothing against Steve Levy or Joe Tessitore or Sean McDonough or some of the guys who have also been really good to me. Um, Buck and Aikman are guys who called Super Bowls. And I think that what they bring most at Monday Night Football is just the feeling of, wow, this is really big again. 100%. Yeah, every t- I agree with everything you just said. Um, they feel like an event uh, where um, maybe some of those other broadcasters did not, even though they might even be as skilled as the other broadcasters. There is something about Buck and Aikman that feels big, and I think it's exactly what you said. They've just been calling the biggest game the last 15, 20 years on Fox or 25. They've called Super Bowls, called playoff games. It just feels big. They've worked together for a long, long time. So in terms of like chemistry in the booth, there's no issues there. Biggest challenge for them to me is just how they fit with their producer and director and, a, and an entire new production crew. And that takes a little bit of time, uh, just in terms of sort of how you work with people. It will get better as the season goes on, as they spend more time with each other. But again, this is another A booth. And Lisa Salters is also excellent, total yep. professional. Yeah, very so, good. So, mm-hmm. again, I, it, basically you can hear this from me. Almost everybody has a great booth now. Sure. And Monday Night Football will, will be excellent and it will feel big. And I would say their schedule this year is very, very good, where you know four or five years ago when the NFL was not happy with ESPN, they would not give them a great schedule. So their schedule feels big. So I agree with everything you said. Yeah, and, and it's interesting because I, I read this in your column too about Buck feeling a little bit of pressure. Um, I think he's going to be motivated to uh, be great. You know what I mean? Maybe there was a little bit of um, routine uh, working against him at Fox, you know, just rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. But I think that there is going to be a motivation to um, to be great totally. here, and I, I think yep. that will be okay. good. All right, let's keep rolling through him. Fox, so now you like Burkhart more than me. I love Burkhart during baseball on the set. I think he's unbelievable at that. I think he's much better in the studio than in the booth doesn't mean I like hate the guy or anything. I think he's good. I just don't know. And they're doing a Super Bowl this year, so we're going to find out right away. I think it goes to that. I don't know that those guys feel big. And I don't know that there was a booth that Fox could have come up with that would have. Um, I do like Olsen. I think he's pretty good. He's also a little bit raw, though. Um, this, to me, is the weakest number one booth across the board. I know you like Burkhout more than me, so tell me why I'm wrong. Well, you're not wrong. I mean, again, this is all; these are all subjective stuff. Yeah, you know I what say, I mean. You know, yeah, I, mean. I would, yeah. I would say, I would say that the one thing that Burkhart and Olsen have to do is they have to do big games, so it feels big, right? Sure. They just haven't. Sure, that's the difference. Right, they, right, those right. guys have never; they've never done a full season of A games. They've never done the biggest four twenty five game. So, I think it's going to take you know seven, eight, nine, ten games that's for them to point. feel big mm-hmm. if they feel big. Now, I like Burkhart. I think he's a good broadcaster. I think he'll be. I think he he is uh, you know nobody's Al Michaels, but Al Michaels had to become Al Michaels, and so yeah, he 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 doesn't have the big game experience compared to any of the other A's right now. You know, Tarico, Buck, 
uh, Al Michaels, Nance. They've all called much bigger games than Burkhart. But I think Burkhart's a professional. I think he's good. I'm with you on Olsen. I, I, I like Olsen, but, I, you know, I think he is um, – I think it's fair to say he's like out of all the, the, the you know, the A analysts – He's sort of at the end of the list for me of the A. Right, if we did analysts. a power rankings or something. Yeah, he, just because yeah. he, I mean, he, he doesn't have the reps. I mean, yep. I think even he'd probably admit that. Um, so I think if the way I see it is if you're Fox, you just want them to be professional and good every week and get better every week. And that's what you, that's all you ask for. I don't think that book is, booth is going to be like a revelation. This is not going to be like Romo coming in and sure. wowing, wowing everybody with stuff. You just want them to be comp- competent probably a little too weak. You just want them to be good, like consistently good every week, and I think they can live up to that. But you're not wrong. Like When you're thinking of like the premier NFL broadcast booths, they're not going to rank above the other you're not going to rank above Al Michaels and someone. They're not going to rank above Buck and Aikman. They're not going to rank above Nance and Romo. They're not going to rank above Tariqo and Collins. They're the newest, and they don't have uh, the experience. Um, I would have. To, this is just a pure guess. I think when you think about this booth one year, if we had this conversation one year from now, September 2023, my sense is people will think a little bit differently about them in a in a better way because you will have heard them do 17 big games if basically. they stay together. And that's the difference. Because that's the yeah, other that's, thing hanging over them is like the, correct. The Brady can have one foot out and Brady one foot in. Yeah, right. So right. And again, yeah. we'll have that conversation next year. The, yep. The thing with Tom Brady, I can't know how Tom Brady will do or not do, but Tom Brady will feel big, right? Because he's Tom Brady. That's yep. that's the difference. Yes. Yep. Good point. All right, let's keep blowing through him because I'm running out of time. I'm sure you're probably getting sick of me. Uh, what do we have to say about Nance and Romo? Not much, right? I mean, they're Nance and Romo. Not much. Uh, yeah. Listen, R- R- <laughs> Buck made a joke about how he went up and hugged them at a golf tournament or something. I mean, he, <laughs> yeah, he, cha- he changed the game in terms of the money. You know what I mean? And, like, good for him, and he's great. And he did. We can yep. move on. Everyone, uh, th- that's an easy no, one. No, I mean, I, th- here's yeah. the one thing I would say. Sure. They get, the, they, 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 they get the benefit of probably having more big AFC games, even though the— Right, the uh, big teams every, this year, Chiefs and every, Bills. Every, and yeah. yeah, even yeah. though everybody is, quote-unquote, like every game is, quote-unquote, sort of now, like the NFL likes to say, is free agent. The reality is, like, CBS still has more games than the other networks. So so Nance and Romo, on top of obviously being an established and excellent team, they're going to get the benefit of the Chargers and the Chiefs and the Bills more right. than everybody else. So, so they will feel really big this year because I just think the schedule is going to be big. Right, it's kind of cyclical. Like, in the, like when Fox... Uh, yeah, switch. Madden they and had, Summerall yeah, had they the had, NFC East forever. Yeah, Dallas and yeah, the Giants yeah, and the so. Packers and the, the Niners and that, yeah. For yep. sure, good point. All right, so the last one then is uh, Tariqo, Tariqo Collinsworth. and Collinsworth. And I like Collinsworth. He's a little polarizing. Some people don't like him. I think he's pretty good. Um, and, and they have the benefit of they're a new team, but they're not, right? They've What have they exactly. done, like 15 or 16 games together? 20, 20, 20, 20, 20 22. Okay, yeah. yeah. So it's a new booth, but it's not, and people have heard them. And I love Chirico. I think he's great. Um, I loved him at Monday Night Football. Um, I think they've missed someone of his quality since. Although I think McDonough was there, but maybe more of like into college. But um, he was great too. But uh, look at I, I I'm, I'm – I think they'll they'll be great, and they get yeah, the biggest already, they get the biggest games every week, right? I mean that's you've already show. An, yeah yeah you've answered your own question. It's another A booth. They're yeah. not gonna they're 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 gonna feel big. Um, you know, I I sort of I I would always say Collinsworth is an excellent analyst, although I get a little mixed on him sometimes. Uh, um, I find him it's weird. He once for me was really the guy who would be fearless in terms of being critical and fearless and calling out. 
or calling coaches. And I find, I find that guy, he doesn't always seem to be that guy anymore. Feels a little more league guy, but, but then he'll have the broadcast where I feel like, oh man, this is like the Collinsworth I know and really like. So how were they last a, night? Because I was at Pearl Jam, so I didn't see solid, it. Okay, solid. It was yeah, good. They're, yeah. They're, listen, they're, yeah. I mean, yeah. They, they are an A broadcast. It feels big. Um, NBC had a big change behind the scenes. They have a new executive producer, Rob Hyland, who takes over for Fred Goodelli. And Sunday Night Football felt like Sunday Night Football. And then lastly, to your point, and I'm honest, this is the most important point, like you said, their schedule is great. Yeah, it is actually great. impossible mm-hmm. for them not to have a bad broadcast because every game on paper at least looks like – like the biggest game of the week. So I, I again, this is another a broadcast team and 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 I would only expect it to feel like a big event every time they're on. All right, let's kind of close it out with this. Putting aside the booths cuz we could go into many different areas and we could go into sideline reporters, we could do this, we could do that. We don't have time for all that. Outside of the booths, what do you think the number one sports media story is going to be this year in the NFL? <sighs> That's a good question. Let me think about this. The number one sports media story outside of how all these booths do. Right, because we just kind of covered that, and that's going to yeah, be yeah. the big thing. But well, next to that, what are you I, – I Honestly, I think it's it's twofold, and it both involve Amazon. Okay. One, it's, it's how Amazon's sort of production is in terms of how do consumers feel about watching this exclusive game on a streaming service, on a, you know OTT, as opposed to – what they have been used to for the last however many years to either see it on Fox or CBS or NBC or the NFL network. So that's part one. And then the other part is how many people are watching. I just think that's a big story because the NFL has changed the game here a little bit in that they decided, even though it's not their best package, they decided to take a chunk of the most important entertainment property that exists in the United States and to give it to a, you know, a, a direct-to-consumer company to give it to an ott yeah and so that's how that does in year one is a massive story because what it if it turns out that like the numbers are through the roof and people are like moving to amazon quick that sets up like for like nba you know which has its deal coming up to think about all right well what do we do this you know do we give amazon like i'll just make this up right wednesday night basketball where have these exclusive games right right right, only on amazon for wednesday night basketball or if you're apple like you know, does Apple be like, okay, we're going to bid a crazy shitload amount of money for two of these college football playoff games, like okay. in the opening, yeah. you know, like like in those openers. So that's where I think this story is not really just about the NFL and Amazon. It's kind of about something that goes beyond the NFL this year because I think it's going to provide a, te- a blueprint maybe for all these other companies. I'm sorry, for all these other leagues, they decide to parcel out their product, you know, the way like the MLS did in a smaller uh, way. Right, they went Apple. all in there. Really they went on. My, this yeah. is this is my my the one thing the one caution I have on all this is the NFL is unique, right? It's like the one property that unlike any yeah, it's other a unicorn. property. Yeah, yeah, it's a unicorn. It's the most unique. So that's like for if you're the NBA or if you're college football or these other places, this is like what you. This is why you pay a lot of money to sort of figure this out. Is it like you know? Can we get some? Well, certainly, we're going to get paid if an Apple or Amazon pays us, but can we get traction? Can we actually get people to watch our product if we decide to put it behind a, a paywall like this? So that's those are the uh, the biggest stories. But I think if you're a, if you if you are an NFL fan, um, you know you have the, the monetary means to have um, let's say Kate for Amazon as well. I mean, it, it's not really getting better. 
than this right now for you. I mean, the product is great. It, it's it's so it's a hundred times uh, more relaxing. I feel like to watch the game in the comfort of your own home than to go to the game. Um, it's a really high quality sort of visual product. I mean, the NFL, yeah. and it's once a, and it's once a week, yep. so you could follow it. It's not like you know, it's not like baseball or basketball or hockey. You got to follow it every day. So the NFL is just it's just an incredible entertainment financial machine that only to grow every year, which is pretty incredible. Yeah, and like the Pro Bowl is a great example because I don't know a single person who watches it in my life, and I don't know anyone who knows someone in their life who watches it, but I think a lot of people are lying because it always has the best ratings. They, exactly. The Honestly, they're either lying <laughs> yeah. or you – or it, like they are they have a friend watching it that they're just not right. – they don't know about because the that, that's still getting 8, 9, 10 yeah. million viewers. Uh, thing, I agree with you. It's, it's, I would call it an, an unwatchable game. Yeah, everyone hates yet, it. <laughs> but, it's, but, yeah. but yet it's – it, it the number it, it draws more than the Stanley Cup final. Yeah, so it's, like it's wild. You, you have to keep broadcasting it if you're if you're at these places. All right, the sportscasters are here finishing up with our friend Richard Deitch. He was on episode three of this podcast way back in 2011. Wow. Awesome. Yeah, 2011. Um, what are we up to now? What what episode is this? Uh, we're getting close to over 300. Oh, well, love it. So yeah, and congratulations to you and your part of being. In the 400 of the SI Sports Media podcast, I think you're about half, and Train is about half now. And don't yeah, for, that's yeah, right. And don't forget to listen to uh, Richard's podcast, the Sports Media podcast, as well, which is great. Um, especially the episode I was on, which is probably as Richard will tell you <laughs> the best of them. Um, but uh, do you have any questions for me? Uh, let me think about this. I always like to ask you at least one Buffalo question. So yeah, I do have one question. For okay. You. So I, I was, so we're taping this today after the Bills uh, rolled yes. over the ramp. Yes, they did. Um, and I I do get living in Toronto. I do get Buffalo local stations, which is great. Right. And so one of the uh, by the way, I want to talk about over the top fandom for news anchors. I mean, my God. But uh, <laughs> but so I'm so I'm watching. I don't know what I was watching. It must have been Channel Four or whatever. Um, and they were showing the um people on West Chippewa now just go to. West Chippewa to watch away games on a big screen. That's yeah, incredible. my brother and my mom were there. Holy, how yeah. many people do they get for this kind of thing? thousands? Holy man, that like yeah. when I when I left Buffalo, West Chippewa was just getting big. It right. was yep. It was sort of like it's the, the party new hot... and entertainment district yeah. for anyone who doesn't but, know yeah, what that is. No, yeah. no, yeah. Now yeah. it's become big. So what do they do? Do they put like just like a giant like screen up somewhere? And yeah, do they, they have chairs. They, they close. How does the, it work? They close the road. Um, like right. on two ends, they put screens, I think on both ends, the businesses in between where the road close have inside and outside setups. I think this uh, kind of grew out of COVID when you couldn't go inside, but right. you could gather outside cause there was some rules for a period where like, uh, restaurants could offer stuff outside, but not in, or, you know, it was all convoluted. And changed so quickly, but that's kind of where it grew out of, and it's became very popular. My brother went at four thirty yesterday to get a spot. This, I, I, I'm, I'm telling you, I mean, it's amazing to see yeah. again. Like when I lived there in the uh, mid to late '90s, um, it was just sort of getting big, and there was no place in the city where people would go to watch like away games. Like yep, that, that that's just didn't, you go to a bar, yeah. you go to a restaurant. So to actually now see this is like an out thing. I get it too. The fact is that because they're preseason favorites, people play over in terms of excited about this year. So expect every one of those away games. I would expect Chippewa to be packed. Yeah, when it's going to be an event. When yeah. you're hot here, you're hot. And like in, in '99, when the Sabers were in the Cup, 
uh, the game one and two were on the road, and the, we went to the arena. You know what I mean? Because there wasn't like a right. chip wall experience like that. I got you. And that's yep. actually where I met my wife, game one that night. Uh, oh, watching interesting. The you know, I, I, know you, I know you know this. I don't know how many of your listeners know this, but Buffalo, when the teams are good, oh, actually yeah. even when the teams are not, it's one of the great television markets oh, yeah. in the country. It over-indexes based on its population. So if the team is actually good, it, the, like the Bills television numbers this year are going to be like Packers-esque or New oh, Orleans-esque. Oh, their share is going to be ridiculous. Yeah, like the exactly. percentage of TVs that will be watching the Bills at 1 o'clock exactly. is going to yeah. be ridiculous. Might be like 70 80%, yeah, which is Super Bowl huge. level. Yeah, huge, yeah. huge, huge. All right, Richard, what else do you want to promote? Anything else you want to mention? How long? Nothing how much to... longer will the Twitter hiatus be, you think? Not much longer. I'll, no, you feel I'll like pro- you might come back? Yeah, I think yeah. I'm going to come back uh, sometime very soon. Uh, but I'll be... The, the frequency of my tweets will not be anywhere near it was before. But yes, I'm gonna I'm gonna come back, be a little judicious, uh, you know. Occasionally, I, I, the one thing I do miss, um, and it does have an impact, honestly, on download, is not pushing the podcast. It's just I can't get it to as enough people because the my trophy was like my best promotion. Yeah, and so I would like to at least go back and purely use that, honestly, for promotional. But the one thing I can promise is I'm just not going to engage as much as I did before because I was a little too online. It's yeah. Just, it was too much. If there's one, if there's one lesson, I I don't even know if that's the right phrasing that I've learned from my seven month Twitter hiatus. It's just to sort of step back and not be as online. Yeah, it's and no one's going to win those w. engagements. You know what I mean? Like, Correct. You're not going to yeah. change anyone's mind. They're not going to change it's hard. their mind. It's, that's, yeah, it's, yeah, I think yeah. what I've learned, I, I think yeah. you sort of too, is like yep. in in the United States in 2022, you you just can't change anyone's mind. It's no. just it's a you're it the, the it's a losing battle to even go into battle. Yep. Oh yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so so that's what I've learned. Oh, very, uh, very last thing: who's going to win the uh, WNBA? The final start on Sunday, which seems like bad yeah. business. They're really going to play game one at three o'clock yeah. on opening day of football. I agree, terrible. But they they um, yeah, they, you know, I think some of that had to do with um. And isn't the right U.S. Open that at that time too? Like at four- it, it ha- yeah, it has to do with what ESPN. As a company airing that day, okay, and on Monday they can't play Monday night okay. on ESPN, right? Because they have Monday night football. Sure. So they got screwed up. But yeah, it's terrible. I mean, it, it's basically you're punting the slot. Uh, Las Vegas should win. Okay. Although it should be an excellent series. And they're playing um, Connecticut, right? They're playing Connecticut, yep. and um, you know, an interesting story there is you know Becky Hammond seemed like a finalist for some NBA jobs, and then decided to not continue to pursue that not stay as an assistant with the Spurs and Vegas may win a championship as a coach in her first wow. year. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't actually, I don't know her. Like, I don't know if she then wants to go back or try for the NBA, but that's a pretty interesting story. In that, that is, like, yeah, she's, she's been the closest woman in terms of getting at least opportunities for an NBA coaching job. And she switched to the WNBA and now she may um, win a title in her uh, first year. But that league is that a really good story. I mean, again, this is a niche sport. It's a small sport, but you know, they've gotten close to a million viewers on some of their playoff games, which, you know, that's um, that's a big number. for Women's, for, for, women's sports in general know? have had a great year, yeah. it seems it's like. had a great year. Yeah, yeah, been the, um, yeah. yeah, eventually you will see the college, the big college women events like the College World Series and the NCAA Women's Basketball Tournament. That's, I think, eventually going to eventually negotiate its own deals. Sure. Where they're they're gonna they're be they'll be able to get like some significant change for the right to have that on. I don't think ESPN would ever lose it, but I think ESPN is gonna have to pay for that stuff individually because ESPN honestly has gotten like the craziest best deal. They've gotten all these smaller sport 
championships right, the champion as part course. of like a fourteen million dollar deal yeah. per year. It's like it's it's like it's like as good as the CBS SEC deal back in the day where they paid nothing for the uh, the best football conference that existed out there. So that'll change. All right, man. Well, I hope you're well. I hope everything goes well in Toronto. I hope your kids and your family are good. Thank you. Uh, thank you for doing this as always. I always appreciate you, and uh, we'll do it again soon. All right, Steve. All right, good to hear your buddy. voice, man. Right. Be good. See ya. Could've used a few pounds Tight pants, points, hollering out She was a black-haired beauty with big dark eyes And points all her own, sudden way up high All right, I want to thank Richard Deitch for being on the podcast today. I always love having Richard on. Enjoy his insights. Sorry about his phone connection there in the beginning. Uh, we did the best we could with that. All right, real quick book club update. I'm going to fly through it because, like I said, we're behind. I'm trying to catch up. It's late at night. Uh, first of all, thanks again to all the authors who were in the book club the first time around. Uh, season 12, we had the Brian Gewertz book. We had the Football Almanac. We had Fred Siegel. bunch of good stuff in there. I want to thank everyone uh, who has been a part of the book club so far in season 12. We announced the last couple of shows, Stephen Hyden. Uh, formerly of Grantland. I think he was at Ringer. Um, I know he's at Uproxx now. His book, Long Road, Pearl Jam, and the Soundtrack of a Generation, uh, is the first announced book for the fall series of books in the book club. Uh, and we have another, um, which I can announce today, and it's called The Blood and Guts, How Tight Ends Save Football, and it's by Tyler Dunn. I think it's Tyler Dunn. I hope that's right. D-U-N-N-E. I know he's a Buffalo guy. I'm excited to have Tyler on. Um, he's written a book about tight ends. The publicist reached out to see if we'd be interested. I said, of course we would be. Uh, so Tyler will come on and, uh, we'll talk to him about his book. Uh, it's for pre-order now. It's on sale on ten eighteen, which they say is just in time for tight ends day, which is apparently on ten twenty three. Um, so we'll look forward to that. That's a new one. The blood and guts, how tight ends save football. By Tyler Dunn. I think it's Dunn. D-U-N-N-E. Maybe it's Dune. Who knows? We'll find out from him. I'm sure a lot of people are screaming the name either way because he's a Buffalo guy. Uh, so we'll get Tyler on soon. Uh, so that's where we're at right now. Long Road, Pearl Jam by Stephen Hyden. And uh, the Tyler book about tight ends is the newest uh, book. We do have copies of Brian Gewertz's book. I think I have one of Fred Siegel's book left and a couple copies of the Pearl Jam book left. Uh, follow me, the Sportscasters uh, Twitter is at sports underscore casters, or you can just email me, the Sportscasters at gmail.com if there's a book you're interested in, and uh, I'm sure we can work something out. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll come back with Kenny Albert. Our next guest lives in New Jersey. He calls New York Knicks basketball, New York Rangers hockey. He's PBP1 for the NHL on TNT in the United States. And, of course, he calls football for Fox. He's been doing it for over 20 years, and he's a great friend of this program and a good friend of mine. A warm sportscaster's welcome to the always awesome Kenny Albert. Hey, Kenny. Hey, Steve. 
What's going on, man? How are you doing? It's good to hear your voice. Uh, I am good. I uh, hope you're doing well. And uh, oh, yeah. I know you were excited yesterday watching the Saints-Falcons <laughs> game. Yeah, that was wild. I, I've been thinking about like all the Saints games you've called over the years. And uh, I don't know that you've called one that we deserve to lose more and won than that one. I mean, at least for the first three quarters, they Atlanta whooped our butt. They really did, I have to admit. Well, it certainly had, had the feel heading into the fourth quarter like it was over. Uh, the Falcons kicked an early field goal in the fourth to go up by 16. Now, there were a couple of plays during that drive, key stops by the Saints, um, and we even pointed out at the time, uh, by holding them to a field goal, it was still a two-possession game, a right. two-score game. And yep. uh, that certainly came into play later on after the Saints uh, scored their first touchdown and, and connected on the two-point conversion. And then the second Mike Thomas touchdown, they go for two, and that time they, they don't make it, so they're down by two. Um, and then there, there were a couple of plays both before and after the, the Lutz field goal where if if one thing went right for the Falcons, uh, they could have iced the game. And you know the, the the one that certainly stands out is the third and one, uh, where Mariota had trouble with the exchange. Right, it went between his and, almost between and, his legs uh, or whatever. There, Saints yeah. wound up getting the ball back. There was also, and, and we pointed this out, ironically, if you recall the Lattimore holding penalty. Yeah, which was brutal. Quarter, that was brutal. That was brutal. That that penalty though actually. Uh, wound up helping the Saints because of the clock. the clock. Yeah, because of the clock. So, in a strange way, uh, that penalty, if 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 the Falcons had picked up a first down, if I'm not mistaken, on that play, the game would have been over. Um, and the penalty actually helped the Saints as far as the, the game management and, and uh, with the clock stopping at that point. So, just a wild game. Uh, haven't seen too many like that uh, where a team comes back from 16 down in the fourth quarter to win. I can promise you, you've seen no Saints games where they've come back 16 points down in the fourth quarter to win because that was the first time they were two. Well, there was almost one last year against the Falcons. I went back and looked today. If you, remember, I'm sure you remember this one. They were down 18 in the fourth quarter. Right. Took the lead and then wound up losing. Getting walked off. On, so I think, that right. was somewhat of a similar fourth quarter yeah, in the game last year. They um they were 0 and 208 in games where they were down by 16. Um, and uh, the Falcons were 97.6% chance probability to win at the highest. And uh, the other thing that was interesting, I thought, they've been playing each other for like 50 years. The last time the the, the series between the two teams was tied was 1-1, one to one, and the Saints right. tied in them year, yesterday. Right, in year two. Yep. Right, I saw that one yesterday. <laughs> Which was, I thought was pretty, it's been, pretty uh, wild, too. Chased them it's down. It's been yep. a fun series to be a part of. Uh, I think I've worked 11 or 12 games now between the Saints and Falcons, and uh, it was also the Saints' fifth straight win in Atlanta. And what was the so what was it's the? Been, uh, it's been quite some time since the Falcons have come away with a victory at home over the Saints. You guys threw up the stat of the the uh, opening day Saints Falcons games. I think they were seven and one or something in them. Right, going Falcons into seven and one yeah, opening day. So seven and two now. So an interesting game. Uh, I thought that the Falcons made a mistake by backing off in the fourth quarter. Felt like they backed way up. Um, the hustle play to strip Mariota uh, down in the red area was big because uh, they got nothing out of that, obviously. Um, that was obviously a huge play. And, uh, you know, what? I think almost bigger than anything else 
is just getting Mike Thomas going like that. And to see the emotions from him after him being gone essentially for two years and sometimes wondering if he wanted to play football, wondering if he's ever going to come back. You know, him and Peyton were had a disagreement publicly about his surgery that didn't end up happening until June last year. You know, the Saints claim he wasn't going to doctor's appointments and everything that went on in the last two years. To get him making huge plays like that and the emotions that he was showing on the, on the sideline, just to kind of have him, I think that he's more important than anyone else, except maybe Jameis, to the success of the team this year. And I think it's so huge to see him going like that. I don't know what you think about it. And earlier in the game, we, we saw a, a pass go off his hand. He slipped a couple of times. Yeah, it didn't so. seem like they were on the same page. For, right. You know and, what I mean? But certainly in the yeah. fourth quarter, you know, I'm not sure what happened to Jameis when he went into that medical tent, but after he came out, he was a different guy. He completed 13 of 14 if you take away the two spikes to stop the clock and had the two touchdown passes to Thomas. So they were certainly uh, in unison in that fourth quarter. Yeah, I don't know if Mr. Miyagi was in that tense or what, but uh, <laughs> I think that the, a couple things, though. That Marshawn Lattimore penalty, not the holding, but the unnecessary roughness to set up the field goal, that is unbelievably brutal. I, I love Marshawn Lattimore. I mean, I, I think he's already the best corner the Saints have ever had, at least in the 35 years I've watched. You can't, that just, I can't believe he did that. Like, I can't believe you're, you're blowing up a guy after the whistle. Because he, he earned the penalty. I'm not saying it was a bad call. He earned that penalty. It was the right call, and I can't believe it happened. Could have cost us the game. Luckily, Peyton Turner blocked the field goal. But that was brutal. And, um, you know, obviously, uh, Dennis Allen, I think, said, you're going to have to have some thick skin tomorrow when we review this film. And there will be some people who definitely need it. Uh, Carl Ruiz uh, 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 being one for sure and uh, a few others. But um, nah, I'm happy to get the win. I, I mean, 1-0 is a lot better than 0-1, that's for sure. Monday's a lot well, more food fun. Well, the food <laughs> certainly tastes better after a win. So that was your next year is the big year, right? Because I was looking at your partner's, um, not Vilma, but your uh, spotter or producer or whatever he is. Next year's the big year that's going to be, what, at 25 or something like that or and 500 games, right? What are the stats? I know this year, next year, there's going to be some big milestones hit, correct? Uh, next year will be year 30. 30. The NFL 30. on Fox. Okay, hard, yep. hard to believe. Yep, and you played 500 and games. You have 475 or something. is certainly within range. I think I was told that I finished up last year at 458. Okay. So or maybe he's a little ahead of you. Maybe he's a little ahead. That would be 42 away and with the 18 game season. I guess that would be the following year. Okay. Uh, game Just number barely. 500. But yeah. next next year it's really hard to believe. I feel like 1994 was 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 just a couple of years ago when uh, so many of us were were in the right place at the right time at a young age and Rupert Murdoch and Fox uh, stole the NFC package away from CBS, who had had it for over 35 years. And uh, we all got together in California for the first NFL on Fox seminar. And uh, here we are, and it's it's 29 years later. So many of the players in yesterday's game weren't even born when Fox televised right. their first games in September of 1994. And do you remember what a big deal that was? I mean, back then, Fox wasn't what Fox is now. Like, we knew about The Simpsons, Married with Children. If they had, like, a handful of shows... Um, that right, people I'm, watched I'm surprised you. I'm so, you know, I didn't think you were old enough to. Yeah, I was 14, that, but, 14 in '94, you know, so I remember it. But yeah. you know, media critics were joking back then: Is Bart Simpson going to be in the booth calling the games? How how is how will Fox <laughs> do the NFL? 
And such a big part of, of, of <laughs> Rupert Murdoch's bid to acquire the NFL had to do with building the network. In, a, in, in so many cities around the United States, uh, there was either not a Fox affiliate or the affiliate was on one of the UHF channels. Right. Uh, if you remember UHF, yeah. you know, the channels were usually pretty staticky. Mm-hmm. And that first year, uh, we would go into certain cities. I remember uh, working in Arizona Cardinals game, and there was a big party after the game that the Fox affiliate threw. They had just switched over uh, and taken over, whether it was NBC, ABC, CBS. So uh, by virtue of, of Fox televising the NFL, uh, a number of stations around the country, uh, the Fox stations became stronger, stronger signal, uh, stronger channel in the lineup, so uh, that that was a big part of it back in 94. And I remember just in, being stunned. In, in, you know, yeah. legitimizing Fox as as one of the four major networks. Right, exactly. And I remember just being stunned, like, wait, CBS is not going to have football anymore? Like, that was the... Like, I remember, this is the nightmare thing from being a kid was, uh, and a lot of people in my generation will say this, I would be at my dad's for the weekend. My parents were divorced when I was little. And I'd be at my dad's on the weekend. And we'd be watching the games, and when Pat Summerall would be like, coming up on the East Coast, uh, 60 Minutes. Murder, or, She Wrote. Yeah, I'd be like, oh, no, the that weekend's over. You'd be promoting Murder, She yeah, Wrote in uh, 60 Minutes. I got to go back to school. That's it. The weekend's over. As soon as he said. You know, and if you remember, Steve, so four years later, CBS wound up with the NFL once again, the right. AFC package. Yep. Uh, they took it away from NBC four years after they lost the NFC, and then NBC winds up with Sunday Night Football. So, uh, it was a bit of a jigsaw puzzle for a couple of years. But almost worked out for everybody in the end because NBC is absolutely happy with the number one show really on TV now with Sunday Night Football. And um, and there's been some obviously some negotiations since then, but it's crazy how it's played out. You know, I, I follow this Twitter account. It's like this day in Saints history or something. And it's crazy to me when I look back at all these highlights here and there, how many games like you and Buck have called – uh, over the years, Joe, I noticed him. A few other guys, too. Chris Myers, I'll notice like his voice and the highlights and stuff. It really gives you an appreciation for the history and the weekend and the week out of the NFL season and all the games and all the years you guys have done it. It's really insane, and I'm looking forward to year 30 next year. I know it, and, and it doesn't seem like it could have been this long ago, but it happened. Remember when it was 25 years you came out and we kind of did a retrospective looking back at a bunch of the big games and the big moments, and now next year is already 30. It's crazy. Well, I'm looking forward to doing doing it with you again next year, but when yeah. I think back to the Saints and, and my personal history, you know, the early years, Jim Mora was still the head coach, and then uh, when Mike Ditka took over, Ricky Williams was there. Yep. Uh, we once showed up late by accident. Uh, our, our producer at the time was driving early on a Saturday morning to the Saints facility, and we wound up missing the exit and wound up going over uh, a bridge that's uh, <laughs> pretty long. I, I think it's 12 miles in each direction. Yep. So we finally got back to the facility, and, and to his credit, Mike Ditka was sitting there waiting for us in a dark room, and uh, his line to us was, uh, John Madden's never late, and that, that kind of broke the ice, and we, we held our meeting. And then, um, you know, the Jim Hazlitt years, and after the hurricane, we did a couple of games in Baton Rouge. Yeah. When the Saints played some in home San games Antonio, there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my former partner, Rondé Barber, had three interceptions in one of those games, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And then uh, it was on to the unbelievable Sean Payton era. Mm-hmm. And with Moose Johnston and Tony Siragusa, we called so many of those games, um, including the playoff game against Arizona, uh, which is certainly uh, 
you know, one of the more memorable ones of the 458 uh, that I've called through the years. And uh, now under Dennis Allen, it's, it's a bit of a new era, although uh, they kept the continuity with the coaching staff. I really like this coaching staff. And, uh, you know, losing Drew Brees to retirement two years ago was certainly a shock to the system. And now with, with no Brees and no Peyton, uh, it's, it's definitely a, a bit of a new-look Saints franchise. Yeah, two things. I think one, the biggest Saints game, obviously, that you've called was the playoff game and the almost 17-point comeback that Breeze executed in San Francisco. Uh, and we talked the day after that. I was a good sport about it and had you on, um, and we talked about that. That was one of your- Yeah, no, that was an unbelievable game, the playoff game in, in January 2012. Um, I also worked the, the 52-49 went over the Giants when, when right, Breeze and Eli seven, Manning combined yeah, for seven 13 and six. touchdown passes. Yep. Yep, and Breeze threw a pick six off someone's hands, too. That was right. <laughs> another touchdown. Yeah, Breeze, what, tied the record, I think, for touchdowns in a tied game. Tied the with record seven. with yeah. seven. Yeah, that was a wild one. And then you called the playoff game we won on the Super Bowl run, right? With the, the uh, you, that was you, right? Right, Wasn't, the Arizona yeah, game. Arizona game, yeah. So that, and then uh, about the staff, one thing I'll say, I thought I was interested to see how Carmichael would do calling the game because, you know, Peyton's been calling plays for so long. And I thought he did a great job, except what was that second? Two-point conversion call. It was like Wildcat to Ingram. Like a direct snap to Ingram. It's like no Mike Thomas on the field, no Kamara on the field. They found out later he was banged up, missed the last four minutes, but I guess he's okay. You know, they took Mike Thomas. Out. If you're going to run that play, it's got to be Hill, right? I mean, I don't know what that was. That They didn't throw that call out because he didn't even get close. Well, I guess you can't win them all, but I, no, I thought he'd... <laughs> he did. A, he did a great job in the he first did. half when he, yeah. you know, with Taysom Hill when he came in, yeah. fifty-seven yard run, yeah. and then the touchdown. Um, you know, Darren Rizzi, we mentioned a couple of times uh, during the broadcast yesterday. He's now the assistant head coach, special teams coach, heavily involved in the game management. I, I think he's a guy to keep an eye on, also as a potential future head coach in the league. I know he interviewed for the Saints job and uh, wound up going to Dennis Allen, but uh, the Saints have a, a good one in Darren Rizzi as well. How far out do you get your assignments at Fox? Like, how far out do you know this? What games you have this year? Uh, we we have our first three first so three. far. So okay. uh, you mentioned the Commanders. We have the Commanders Lions this week. Sure. And then uh, Vegas at Tennessee. So okay. we have two AFC teams, which is somewhat unusual on Fox, right. but right. Uh, two playoff teams from a year ago. So that that should be a real good one. Week. Yeah, three. that's a good game. That's a pretty good game, I think. Tech- Titans were upset, right? Yeah, yesterday, which I was surprised. Lost to the Giants yeah. on a two-point conversion, and then uh, you know Brian Dable grew up in the Buffalo area, yep. close to uh, yeah. He went to the same high school as my you brother. Are. Yep. Uh, you really have to give him credit. Yeah. going for two, showed some balls. Uh, down by two, and uh, then the Titans wound up missing a field goal right at the end. Our game this week, really looking forward to it. Commanders won their opener yesterday over Jacksonville. Uh, the Lions put up a lot of points uh, despite losing to the Eagles. How about this, Steve? So yesterday we had Winston and Mariota, who were drafted one and two back to back in yep. 2015, and this week we have Wentz and Goff, Goff who wow. were drafted one and two back to back in 2016. Uh huh. And then week three you have Manning and Leaf, who were drafted. No, yeah, but uh, yeah, that, right. That's why. That's wild. That's yeah. We, car, car, uh, car, and Tannehill will break the streak. <laughs> right, of, right, of right. Top two picks. That's crazy. Um, it should be an interesting year. Uh, should be pretty good. I'm looking forward to it. I talked to Sean McDonough a few weeks ago. We were kind of going over the um, the first season of the NHL 
on ESPN and, and you finished your first season as well on TNT. I want to ask you a question or two about it. But are you are you starting to get to the point where you're looking forward to hockey yet? I know football just started, so bite my tongue. But yeah, we're, absolutely. We're, yeah, um, we're hockey guys, we have, so we got to get a hockey We have an NHL broadcast seminar yeah. early next week uh, where all the Turner folks and, and uh, uh, broadcasters from around the league, from the individual teams, will be coming to New York. So uh, rookie camps and training camps are right around the corner. So um, don't know the exact schedule yet. The, the network schedules were just released last week, so I don't know yep. exactly where I'll be going. Right. But I know I'll be somewhere almost every Wednesday. Um, your your one was terrific with Turner. Um, it was. You guys killed it, Such too. a great group. Yeah. Uh, working with Eddie Olchek and Keith Jones every game. And uh, we had an unbelievable playoff run. Uh, worked about 10 or 12 games in the first round. And then the surprising sweep by Tampa Bay over Florida in round two. And then another sweep in round three, Colorado-Edmonton, which was an incredible series to be a part of. Um, and to have the, the studio folks traveling during that conference final with uh, Liam McHugh and Wayne Gretzky and Paul Bissonette, Anson Carter, Rick Tockett, it was so much fun to have those guys around. And uh, this year we'll, we'll go all the way through to the Stanley Cup final. So uh, couldn't yeah. be more excited about the season getting underway. And look, I love Sean McDonough. He's been so great to me, and I, I like a lot of other people on that. But even he said, you know, he needed time to kind of retrain that muscle after not calling hockey for a long time. And I think in general, you guys sort of had the edge of for sure. Not that it's a competition, really, like who's better, who's not. I mean, you guys are both partners with the league, and I enjoy watching games on both networks. But it really felt like you guys got going a little bit earlier. Um, and I think, you know, TNT obviously has the greatest – uh, the greatest studio show of all time with the NBA. And it seems like they brought some of the principles and some of what makes that great to hockey. Um, and I think that Bissonette and Gretzky had an interesting chemistry. I just thought all year I thought TNT, and it wasn't just me when I asked hockey people um, around me too, and I'm curious, so I, I do. I was actually at a tournament. My brother was coaching a tournament, and I was sitting around with a lot of hockey people, and I just kind of asked, like, so, you know, what did you like, whatever. But a lot of people really thought that you guys just kind of got going earlier and the momentum build, and I thought it was a great first year, and I'm excited for you guys to have the Cup this year. What other events do you have this year? Because I know the, uh, the events kind of flip-flop back and forth. Um, like Winter right. Classic. So like, like, what ones do you have this year? Win- last year we had the Winter Classic and okay. uh, two other outdoor games in Hamilton Sabres played that one, right? Sabres played in Hamilton. Right, so they? this year uh, we have the Winter Classic at Fenway Park. Um, on a Monday, January 2nd. Oh, that's cool. And ESPN has the All-Star Game in Fort Lauderdale. So uh, we'll have the Winter Classic this year and then the Stanley Cup final. You know, we'll go all the way through. Right. And, you know, just to just to piggyback off what you said, um, you know, I thought, Sean, he does a great job in whatever sport it is, whether it's, whether it's uh, basketball, football, baseball, hockey. Um, you know, those of us, it's a pretty short list who have done all four sports. We right. kind of have this kinship with each sure. other, I think. And, uh, you know, Sean, I, I probably uh, saw him more uh, this year, this past season, than ever before, uh, because if I were working a Rangers radio game and Sean happened to be there for ESPN, uh, we would bump into each other. So that happened uh, on a bunch of occasions in the regular season and playoffs. Um but I thought, you know, those guys do a great job. Brian Boucher is a good friend of mine, Ray Ferraro. So I have a lot of friends over at ESPN. And I don't necessarily look at it, and A.J. Malesko as well, who I worked so many years with at uh, NBC. 
But I, I don't necessarily look at it as a competition because we're never doing the same game, right? right? Yeah, it, it's like silly. the NFL. Mm-hmm. It's like the NFL. Four different networks do NFL games. Uh, you know, now we add Amazon into the mix, so it's five. But we're never doing the same game. So you just want all of the networks to, to be a part of promoting the sport. And I think the more viewers, uh, you know, on one, that, that can only help the other. So uh, we rotate as far as the final is concerned. They had it last year. We have it this year. And you mentioned the, the Turner pregame show and what a great job uh, they do with the NBA. One of the best pregame shows of all time. I put it up there with Fox NFL Sunday. And I, I thought some of the things, you know, the integration of, of those guys interviewing the players before the game, for example, um, you know, how much fun was it for not only for the viewers, but for us to sit up in the booth and watch a Wayne Gretzky or a Rick Tockett or Anson Carter or a Biz interviewing these guys uh, either prior to the game or after the game. So, uh, you know, that, that's a big part of the Turner philosophy, and I thought that went really well. Yeah, I was real excited. Let me ask you about hockey and football together, and I probably should have asked you this earlier when we were talking football, but how close to normal are things from the pre-COVID era? Like, in generally speaking with restrictions and – where you have to be and your, your maybe your pre meetings with the, like you talked about the Dicko one like how close to normal are you is there still a lot of Zoom there's still a lot of restrictions how close to being back to what we were before are the the booths and things like that football Steve seems pretty back pretty much back to normal to where it was in 2019 okay uh, we're able to go we're able to go to team practices meet with players and coaches in person uh, we met with the Saints in their hotel on Saturday in Atlanta. Uh, 2020, it was all done via Zoom. Right. Last year was sort of a hybrid. We'd have some meetings in person and some via Zoom, and we'd still have to wear masks and social distance uh, at times. But it, it, it seems like it's back to normal in the NFL. Um, hockey, I haven't heard about all of the procedures this year. Um, as far as teams opening up locker rooms to the media, like it was prior to the pandemic, right. I've heard they're heading towards that direction. Um, last year, it was sort of a hybrid. Uh, we'd meet with coaches in the hallway. We could talk to players in the hallway, but we weren't necessarily allowed in the locker rooms. Um, but I think a lot of the leagues, you know, baseball, we've seen reporters back in the locker room this year. But uh, I haven't heard the final word as far as hockey and basketball as to whether the locker rooms will be back open to the media on a full-time basis. Gotcha. Hey, one of the other amazing times you were on with me was after you had called the uh the um the bat flip game what was it toronto and um toronto texas Texas. yeah 2015 is there any baseball in your future anymore do you think you're kind of settled in with the extra responsibilities with hockey and with football and and doing rangers network and all that if you kind of settled into those or do you think you still have some baseball basketball whatever else left in you or, or how do you feel about that um, I still do about 15 to 20 Knicks games okay. uh, per year, so still still working basketball on the MSG network. Um, I did two baseball games this summer for Fox. Uh, 2020 and 2021 did not do any, and that was really a function of hockey going throughout the summer. Right, right, uh, with right. The bubble, yep. With the bubble in 2020, and then uh, the playoffs went through mid-July in 2021. Uh, but I did do two baseball games this year uh, for Fox, and... Uh, that's the plan moving forward is, uh, doing a few here and there, the, the, the exact number might right. fluctuate a little bit. So yeah. It could be five next summer. It okay. could be, you know, three, one year, it could be seven another year, but 
um, with with the hockey playoffs going deep uh, this year on Turner, I'll you know I'll be busy with that until late June. Um, so it might not be as many baseball games, but uh, definitely we'll still be involved. Love doing it, and um, it's it's always a lot of fun. So a little bit of a lower number, uh, you know, due to the hockey schedule, but uh, still we'll be doing some baseball. You enjoyed it, right? The two games you called, you, you enjoyed doing them still? You oh, like, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, I love visiting the, the various stadiums around the country. Um, I always enjoy the preparation, so um, definitely, definitely love being involved for sure. What did you think of the great announcer shuffle of 2022 in football? What were your thoughts sitting home watching, you know, Buck and Aikman go to ESPN, you know, Fox elevating Burkhart and Olsen, and, uh, you know, Michaels goes to Amazon, uh, Tariko takes over. What did you think of all the movement and shakeups and the money getting thrown around and all that um, this summer with the, with the football booths? Well, it was like watching free agency in a sport, right? right. Throughout the summer, but yeah. in in this case, it was uh, it was broadcasters, and you know, most of the people that you just mentioned are, are, are either good friends of mine or uh, you know, colleagues who who I don't necessarily see or speak with very often, but we we do have a lot of respect for one another. So, uh, really happy for all those folks, and um. You know, tonight we'll all have the option of watching Joe and Troy on ESPN or the Mannings right. uh, on the Manning cast. Yeah. So, uh, uh, you know, Peyton and Eli are back for another year as well. But you like uh, that? It, it was it was sort of a confluence of a lot of factors coming together, and we might not see that happen in the world of broadcasting for a long time. Yeah. Do you like that Manning cast stuff and the not even theirs in general specifically, but just the. Seems like what Mike, Michael K has do. been I doing watch. one, and there's they're all everywhere. Yeah, I now. watched yeah. almost all the Manning cast last year, and yeah. I would flip back and forth between the regular broadcast on ESPN. But I enjoyed hearing uh, what they had to say. Um, you know, th- they both have photographic memories and are such great students of the game. So I, I really enjoyed watching the Manning cast last year. Only thing for me, I can't watch it when it's my team's game. You know what I mean? I got to be plugged into the main broadcast on that. But right, I've heard o- that from people every that, other that, game. that if it's your team, yeah, no, it's not for that. You'd rather watch yeah, the yeah. traditional broadcast. Yeah, 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 for sure. It's not for that. But, yeah, I, I enjoy that stuff, too. I don't think I've seen a Michael K. A-Rod one, although I wanted to try to watch the one with Jeter, but I think I was just distracted or whatever that night. Uh, the sport- yeah, I missed that one as well. Yeah, the sportscasts are here finishing up with our friend Kenny Albert, uh, who took me to, uh, to the Italian restaurant in his neighborhood last year. We had some pizza. Uh, and dined out. It was a great time. Really enjoyed that. Big plug for Rudy's. Yeah, Rudy's. Yeah, good stuff. Enjoyed that. So we had that last year. All right, let's let's close on this. See what you see what you got here. We talked about you know over th- almost thirty years going to be next year uh, calling games, and uh, you're going to do the the Stanley Cup final this year. Uh, you did a couple of baseball games. You know, Rangers next. All this stuff you do when you when you start a season. Football. So let's just do football. When you start a football season, after all these years, what are your main goals? Like, do you have do you have things you're still trying to achieve? Have Have you kind of done it all at this point? Like, what when you sit down for the season? It's like, what are you really hoping to do? That just call good games, or you know, I, I remember this quote from Al Michaels in a Playboy interview because kind of you know back when Playboy was, uh, I just read, a, I just was in for the articles. You, know, you don't miss they, a thing, Steve. Yeah, yeah. I just was in for the articles. 
And uh, Al Michaels did an interview. They did those great interviews in there. And he said, you know, I'm searching for that perfect game still. You know, that's what keeps me going, just trying to throw the perfect game, which, you know, he, he said he had, and I don't know if he has since. But what about for you? What, what are the goals after everything you've done and everything you've achieved? What are you still striving for, if I asked a question that makes any sense there? Well, I, on one hand, I agree with Al. You're always striving to have that perfect game. Um, you know, I think back to the Joe DiMaggio quote, the famous quote at Yankee Stadium. Uh, you know, it might be the first time, as DiMaggio said, it might be the first time somebody in the stands is watching me play. So right. Mm-hmm. I have to be at my best. And I kind of feel the same way. The, the viewers, the listeners that are tuning in, um, you know, they want to hear the best broadcast as they possibly can. Um, we're also part of a team. I travel every week with, with Jonathan Vilma and Shannon Spake, our sideline reporter, uh, Fran Morrison and Brian Lilly, our producer and director, and a number of other folks on the crew. And, and you become like family for the 18 weeks. You're together Friday, Saturday, Sunday, every week, having meals together. So you don't want to let down your team. Um, you're, we're all working together, exchanging ideas. We already started a group text last night uh, regarding our game this week between the commanders and the lions. So, um, you don't want to let down your teammates. Um, always hoping for the, you know, the best assignments as possible, close games. You know, yesterday was a prime example, having a game like that one, uh, where, where one team comes back from 16 down to win. And, uh, I think, you know, as play by play broadcasters, color analysts, sideline reporters, you're always striving to work the biggest events. And I've been real fortunate, uh, with the Stanley Cup final on, on radio for a number of years and then on television in 2021 for NBC and, and this coming year with Turner, uh, baseball playoffs, NBA playoffs, on the football side, uh, divisional playoff games for many years. I, I called one Super Bowl. It was the world feed, the international feed of Super Bowl 46. And, you know, that's the goal still after all these years. Uh, what I love to call another Super Bowl, um, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Uh, on a major network uh, for the first time. There's nothing more, uh, you know, that I would love to do than add that uh, to the to the resume, along with uh, the Stanley Cup final, uh, hopefully for a long, long time. So you always strive for those big events, but you also want to, as Al said, you want to have the perfect game and you want to be there for your teammates and hold up your end of the bargain. How close do you think you've come to the perfect game? Uh, I mean, I don't know if you ever have the perfect game. There's always something that... Right, which was Al's point, kind of, yeah. Maybe you think of after the fact. I'll I'll give you an example, Steve, of a moment where if it had gone the other way, I would have been so frustrated with myself. Uh, Not that anybody else would have even noticed. Sure. Some people might have, but game four, Colorado-Edmonton. Okay. Uh, Wild game. I watched it. I remember. Oilers are up 4-2 in the third period. Colorado ties it, winds up winning in overtime to advance to the cup final. So, Arturi Lekkinen scores the the overtime winner for Colorado. And if you remember, it was a controversial goal, potential high stick, so they go to to review, and it winds up being upheld. And fortunately, during, you know, the moments uh, in which the goal was being reviewed, uh, I fortunately remembered that it was Lekkinen who had scored the overtime goal to put Montreal in the Stanley Cup final the year before. That's right. So for the second straight year, the same player right. put his team in the Stanley Cup final with an overtime goal. So then I mentioned that. And it was in my notes at the start of the series, but 
you have so many notes and thoughts that you might not remember everything at, at the precise moment. So I, I was just so happy inside that I had remembered that and right. that I put that out there on the air. And that was one of those things where if I hadn't recalled it at that moment and missed the opportunity, um, you know, would I have been fired? No, but right, right. to my you'd be you laying know, in bed thinking about it. I would have been thinking yeah, about it yeah. for, for days yeah. that, that I missed uh, that opportunity. So, um, you know, as far as the perfect broadcast, there's so much that goes into it. You know, your calls, your knowledge of the rules, uh, not messing up any names, uh, your partnership with, uh, you know, the back and forth with your analyst, with the production truck. So um, there, there's definitely a lot that goes into it, but, uh, you know, for example, yesterday we felt really good about the telecast. Now I'm sure when we go back and watch it, we might pick out some little things that we might have done differently. But um, a lot of the players who become analysts or coaches talk about the fact that uh, it's, you don't win or lose. The game's over and, and you go home, and you didn't win, you didn't lose. So some of them like that feeling. Some would rather have uh, a, d- a defined result at the end of a broadcast. So, um you know, the perfect broadcast, something we're probably all searching for, but uh, hopefully if they come close and uh, feel like your teammates did as well, then, it, then it's been a good day. Absolutely. Play-by-play number one in the United States for hockey. Well, him and uh, Sean, you guys kind of share that title, uh, depending on uh, what night it is and what network the game is on. Uh, calls football games for Fox, basketball, and hockey. Does it all. One of my main men, one of the nicest dudes in the business, too. Kenny, thank you so much. Hey, let me ask you this real quick. How is Marv enjoying retirement? Uh, He's good. He's really enjoying retirement. Uh, Spoke to him the other day, and I think we talked about this, Steve, prior. I never thought he would ever retire, never (laughs) thought he would utter the word retirement, but he's enjoying it. He's uh, doing a lot of reading and watching television and watching movies and watching games, which is pretty much what he did in his spare time while he was working. Now he just has more has time, more to time it. for it. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. We'll but give our best to, to the legend. Will uh, do. Mr. Marv Albert. Thank you, Kenny. Look forward to talking to you soon. I'm sure I'll be down in Jersey at some point this year to be with my brother. So I will text you when I arrive and maybe we can watch. All right, something thanks, Steve. Look forward to it. Again. All right, man. Thank you. Absolutely. I want to thank Kenny Albert and I want to thank Richard Deitch for being on the podcast today. Don't forget, you can find this episode and all episodes of the podcast on our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash sports dash casters. You can find us on Twitter where we're at sports underscore casters. Email me, the sportscasters at gmail.com. And I'm looking for five star reviews if you feel like doing one. Greetings from Allentown with Keithy and Peter at GF Allentown Pod for more information there. Place to be Nation podcast. I was on the flagship recently. Uh, I want to mention a show on the uh, No So Pod Network at No So Pod Network on Twitter. Uh, my friend John and um, who else is on that show? My friend John does a football show, a weekly one on No So with Roger and Roger's nephew, and I think Roger's dad is on there as well. Uh, check that out. You can find more information at No So Pod Network. 
on Twitter. They do that weekly. I wanted to make sure I mentioned that the 24-inch podcast is getting closer and closer to coming back. Check us out at 24-inch podcast on Twitter or join our Facebook group by searching 24-inch podcast and asking to join and I will accept you. But that's getting closer and closer to a return sometime this fall. All right, uh, one last thing for me today. And like I said, it's late and I'm playing catch up. uh, So I'm not going to go long. I wanted to do kind of a hodgepodge of things. I want to talk about my Pearl Jam shows, uh, but I think we'll just talk about the first two Saints games. People always seem to be interested where I feel about the Saints. And look, I'm concerned about Jameis Winston. I'm not sure if his knee injury is healed. He already has a new back injury. Uh, He's missing throws he should make. He looks indecisive in the pocket. He's taking too many sacks. With that said, he has caught fire a couple different times in the season, especially the fourth quarter of the Atlanta game. Look, let me start with each week. First of all, after week one, I was perfectly fine with that week. The Saints and Falcons on opening day, uh, it's a rivalry game. The Saints and Falcons are always close games. It doesn't matter how good either team is. Uh, it's a battle back and forth. The Saints and Falcons were tied one to one after the first two games they ever played. Since then, and until last Sunday, the Saints were behind the Falcons and finally have tied them at 52 and 52 in the all-time uh, franchise series record. Uh, so I was excited. It was an exciting first game. Uh, it was a little sleepy the first three quarters. Then they caught fire. It's great to see Mike Thomas back. I've been very critical of Mike Thomas. I wasn't sure that Mike Thomas wanted to play football. Um, I was a little disappointed with the way he behaved himself, some of his professionalism. Uh, But you can't complain about anything you've seen from Mike Thomas yet. He was awesome the first week. He was awesome again the second week. He's bringing a lot of emotion. Uh, The second game was a disaster. And look, they were playing it right the way they wanted to play it. And they had Tampa Bay right where they wanted them going into the fourth quarter. And then, unfortunately, Mark Ingram fumbled inside the 10. And if Mark Ingram wants to stay in this league, he's got to stop fumbling. That's one each week already. And the fight that broke out, for some reason, woke something up in Tampa Bay that it didn't on our side of the field. And Marshawn Lattimore getting thrown out of that game is a joke. Uh, There was a personal foul call that extended a drive on Roby that was a joke. Uh, The calls didn't go our way. That's not why we lost. It was turnovers really was the biggest part of that. And Jameis Winston just couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. He was terrible in the game. It was the worst quarterback play this team has seen since Ian Book. And if you don't count that disaster, you got to go back decades probably. Um, Because Drew Brees just played at such a level for so long, you take it for granted. And I'm hoping that Jameis Winston can play better than he has. Because if not the team doesn't have a chance. He's he's going to have to be better than he's been, uh, which has been very bad. So that's kind of how I feel about the first two weeks. Look at they play Carolina now. It's a very winnable game, but it's also a trap game in the sense that Carolina is a very desperate team. Uh, they might be playing for their coach's career at this point. I mean, I don't know how many more weeks, how many more chances uh, Matt is going to get down there if they keep losing. Um, they could be dangerous, and they have talent. Um, Baker Mayfield can be a mobile guy, which can uh, frustrate the Saints defense at times. Uh, But it's a game I think they should win. That's a game they need to win. Uh, But we just need to see what's going on with Jameis Winston. And if he can't play, if he needs a few weeks to heal, I don't know that Andy Dalton is a terrible option. 
I know that sounds weird, but he had a great summer. He was really good in the preseason. He might be all right for a week or two to give Jameis a chance to heal a little bit, um, if that's the problem. I'm not saying it is. I don't know. Um, I'm not Jameis's doctor, but he needs to be much, much better. It doesn't matter. Uh, hopefully the rib issue with uh, Kamara is just a one or two week thing because they certainly need him. But the positives, Alave looks great. Thomas has been amazing. Uh, Pete has been really good coming back. Ramchek has been much better. Um, the defense is pretty good. Uh, Lattimore has been unbelievable. Still, again, I'm not sure why he got thrown out. Ridiculous. Lutz, it's great to have him back. Not sure we, why we didn't try the field goal before halftime. Uh, but they could still be a very good team. I feel it. Yeah.